0: The topic uh, for this session is um, uh, consumer psychology in CRO.
1: Psychology, psychology, psychology.
0: And we have Roger Dooley, and we have Bart Schutz. Uh, Roger will have a session uh, tomorrow, I think. Tomorrow, tomorrow morning. morning. Yes. And, well, actually, so. Um, no drinking I, tonight. Be ready for my session. Oh, yeah. That's, that's going to go over well. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Um, and yeah, basically, I didn't prepare any questions for this session, because I know Bart. I know, Roger. (laughs) I haven't said anything yet. (laughs) No, not yet. So I hope you have uh, a lot of questions about including psychology. Maybe Are there any psychologists in the room, except this this side? (laughs) Two, three, good. Uh, So if you have any questions about how to be a psychologist in CRO, or if you have questions on how to get more psychology people into your team, I think those are uh, relevant uh, questions uh, here. so for uh, uh, Roger, uh, for those who haven't uh, seen anything about from, uh, from Roger yet, um, um, author, uh, keynote speaker, podcast host also, so this, this should feel familiar, <laughs> um, and uh, author of uh, books The Persuasion Slide, Brainfluence, and uh, the latest one, uh, Friction, uh, The Untapped Force That Can Be Your Most Powerful Advantage. Very good. And um, so I I assume you you brought your uh, friction goggles, right? Yes, I didn't bring the physical ones with me,
2: but I do actually have a demo pair that sometimes I carry around. But my friction goggles are always
0: present in my mind. Good, good. Um, So definitely read the book, then you'll know uh, about the the goggles. And that, that
2: long, strange subtitle took weeks of negotiation between uh, me and McGraw-Hill to arrive at, and finally it was like, whatever, this is good enough. Was there an A-B test for the title? No, no. Uh, they aren't into uh, testing.
0: <laughs> uh, so uh, some some uh, improvements to be made although,
2: although I did do some uh, actual testing on the cover and the cover design uh, using eye tracking and some other tools, so uh, there was a, a testing
0: component involved. Nice, nice. And uh, we have uh, Bart Schütz, uh, Chief Psychology Officer at Online Dialogue, keynote spe- speaker at every CRO conference around the world, um, and an active uh, consumer psychologist, and um, uh, also active at uh, NIP. Um, what's the what's exact name of the committee again?
1: Uh, it's the Section for Economic and Consumer Psychologists. Yeah. What do you guys do there? Uh, and I'm chairing the, the board. Which music. is easy because I found that the section was very easy to become chairman. <laughs> <laughs>
0: <laughs> that helps. That's the trick. That's the trick. Um, so um, first, so we're talking about uh, psychology and and uh, friction. I think that's uh, an easy way in. So uh, uh, Roger. So the the friction is it always bad. Let's start with that one.
2: Uh, actually, friction isn't always bad. It is bad most of the time, and generally, it slows down progress in most fields. It makes customer experience worse. It makes employee experience worse, which reduces employee engagement, which there's a huge crisis in today, at least in the United States, with employees not being actively engaged with their company. It determines uh, which regions succeed and fail. Uh, and there's sort of, uh, but it can be used in a positive way to steer behavior. Uh, if you have two paths, uh, adding friction to an undesirable path, assuming it's in the interest of the consumer or the employee can be a good thing.
0: Yeah, and uh, Bart, I heard you uh, Yeah, yesterday. I do not agree, unfortunately.
1: <laughs> that's that's uh, no. why I
0: didn't prepare any questions. because. Yeah.
1: <laughs> no, I think it, uh, it totally depends on whether um, a consumer is better off or is more persuaded with or without friction. We have a lot of examples where adding friction actually uh, uh, helps sales, You know, like undesired pop-ups in front of your screen, which you have to click away, which actually increases conversion rates or... So, yeah, it, it, it totally depends. And I think that's the, the nightmare of psychology, that it's human behavior, it's very complex, it's dependent on internal brain processes, on external situational factors. And in that complexity, we are very uh, not good in predicting what's going to work or not. Um, and that also applies for for friction. In the Netherlands, we have a saying, "Zonder friction geen glans. And I think that like in half of the cases it's without
0: friction there's no shine
1: there's no shine without friction um, so it can be a very good thing for the consumer right also I mean friction for me is also making products incomparable so people are more following their intuition when they choose and it's a less rational choice but at least they, they choose more right so if you are presenting for example hotels I think it's adding friction that you emphasize different aspects of the different hotels. So one hotel will have a very good restaurant, the other one will have a perfect view and the last one is very easy to reach. Whereas all three of them have a good restaurant are easy to reach and uh, have a perfect view. But by emphasizing these aspects, people are more easily choosing, spend less of their time of their lives you know, considering which hotel, and actually they're more happy with their choice afterwards. So is it a bad thing? I don't think it's a, it totally depends, right? No, it, it does depend. And yeah. uh, I think, for example, the pop-up example is great. I
2: hate to say it, but on my websites, I have a pop-up to subscribe, and uh, it does convert. So... Uh, but at the same time, uh, if you're looking for long-term uh, a long-term customer relationship, uh, you will never go to Amazon and see a pop-up. Uh, they're very focused on a very smooth customer experience. So it just depends on your objective. Yeah, it does. Is, is it uh,
0: also a long-term versus short-term thing? Like the, the pop-up is something I that works right now? Would, maybe the long-term is annoying. I,
1: I think that um, a consumer decision with friction will... Uh, on average, lead to more loyalty than a very easy choice, right? If 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 you're uh, tonight persuading each other, it's better to play hard to get than to be very easy to get, right? In terms of loyalty in the in the long run, and maybe it's a strange metaphor, but I think if if consumers are more interacting with your platform because she didn't make it too easy, it might turn out that they see themselves as interactors with the platform on a longer term. So strategically, it might lead to long-term more loyalty if you make it slightly more, more difficult.
2: That'd, that'd be a great test. Yeah. You know, it's, um, uh, and I would predict that in different circumstances that you might get uh, different results. Yeah, sure. The, uh, sure. In fact, some brands are famous for adding friction to their process. Yeah. Try and uh, buy a Lamborghini, for example. You, you're not going to necessarily just pop down your dealer and drive away in one. Yeah. Uh, you may have to pre order it. Uh, yeah. You may have to uh, go to some distant place to pick it up and so on. I and an that's part of the, the time experience. Yeah.
1: But utilitarian it's products, annoying. like easy daily products, you shouldn't add friction, right? That's yeah, should the f- very my
2: Lamborghini was really easy to buy. <laughs> <after that. laughs> Every one after that's
0: been yeah, difficult. So it's, it's so annoying. <laughs> um, do we already have questions about how to play hard to get or friction or psychology? Who wants to go first? It's the best one. We we'll all remember that first question. Hi, my name is Corinne. Um, cultural differences. I mean, that's US, Europe. Let's put it that way. Is there in psychology creating friction? Does cultural differences make a difference?
2: Yes. Oh, thank, <laughs> <Yeah>. thank you, thank <laughs> no, you. I, yeah, I think, no, it, uh, I, I didn't get into that a lot, but I think different cultures do certainly have different expectations of how uh, easy a transaction might be uh, in China in the EMA stores, which are not the same, I found uh, on this trip, as the Dutch EMA stores. Uh, the Chinese in my stores, everything takes place via their mobile app, you check out with your face, uh, you pay with your face, and it's a totally different experience, and we would find that very strange and difficult, but they find it very easy. Uh, I mean, it's it's almost frictionless for them.
1: Yeah, but I do like to emphasize the fact that uh, Homo sapiens is, in essence, very similar. Every one of us is a human, and our brains don't work very different, no matter what culture you're from or what skin color you have. So the, the baseline is we're similar, and then there are slight differences. Nature, nature is
0: similar, and nurture is different.
1: Yeah, yeah. Well, I yeah, not sure about the na- whether we're <laughs> in nature different, because like the biggest difference is between the individualistic countries and we're not that different from the states uh, even here in europe and the more uh, like the asian uh, how do you call it the groups group sense uh, community, oriented. community oriented that's that is a big cultural difference and what i tend to do nowadays uh, thanks to the cro world is if people ask questions like this i look at the bigger data driven platforms like facebook or amazon and see whether they are presenting different interfaces different countries right and they hardly ever do the differences are too small to start segmenting for those groups but China is exactly the one exception right so booking.com Facebook uh, they they look different so they testing found out that they that they need different UIs over there right? but uh, on the other hand there are no differences between booking.com in the US or here in Europe so the and, and segmentizing has a, segmenting has a, a difficult effect for your testing, right? It reduces power, com- makes testing more complex. So we are, tend to prevent that. That's why we're in the CRO business. We're not a big fan of personalization. I know you all want to learn about personalization, but you should test whether personalization works in a very proper high-powered A-B test, because we haven't seen a lot of uh, powerful personalization uh, solutions yet. Um, so that's when it comes to individual or cultural differences, be very careful because the the, the differences are are small, right? The big goal, the big thing is we're all very similar, yeah. So if, if I would I would emphasize the other thing you should test first are more the situational factors, right? People are they can decide for one product or another very differently if they're in a different situation. That's that can be like a counter effective effect not a slightly more or less it's like 180 degrees different Uh, so I would more look into those differences next question his name is Ruben
3: yes and where do you work? (laughs) (laughs) I work for online dialogue CRO manager Um, the topic of this talk was consumer psychology in CRO Uh, I was actually just talking to Roger that we as converse specialists, or anyone working in this market, know so much more, we get so much more data, and we can do, learn so much more and faster on psychology than a- academics. And it's not just the, psycholo- the, the academics part. Uh, Bart, you were uh, at a bunch of lawyers, I think, two months ago, and you taught about our data, which we have. So consumer psychology in CRO, what, what but the people working in that? What position should we take? How should we help these people, ethical-wise? Uh, help, where, where, help, should, where should we grow?
2: Help help the academics? You mean? Yeah, well, I uh, I think that's a very valid point because you know when I, you read some of these studies, uh, they get uh, tremendous traction. And it, when we read the details, and it was 50 undergraduate students at uh, a particular university. Uh, which, it's great, but it may not really represent uh, anything beyond uh, that, and this is why there's been a replication crisis, and some uh, actually well-known authors and psychologists have uh, been somewhat disgraced and uh, have left their universities because of that. Uh, The uh, data that they were using was weak. They were using some techniques to find stuff, find significance where there really wasn't, and Uh, As a result, nobody else could replicate the data where I think that uh, the data that many CRO agencies collect, if it's done in a very large sample, that is reproducible. Now things can change over time or they could change in a different situation, but by and large, uh, you can't really assail the uh, quality of that data.
1: What was the question? Is the, the question like how should psychologists within companies take their role or more the CRO specialists?
3: Yeah, how should uh, people working as CRO, uh, ethical-wise, uh, see their position within other lines of work? How should we help lawyers? How should, should we help academics? Should we? Cool.
1: Yeah, so uh, I think it's uh, 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 d- 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 but data over psychology. And it's exactly what uh, R- Roger is emphasizing. The, uh, the whole behavioral science world is based on low-powered samples of uh, usually Western females in the age in between 18 and 22. And the external validity is very, very low and the replication crisis is also because they have a false discovery rate that's not different from ours right and and we nowadays know that at least 50 percent of our winning tests are false winners um which is also always the bad news if we enter a new company that was working with an immature CRO agency Uh, but if if i look at the current scientific uh, the 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 big scientific uh, institutions uh, and we go to code conference in boston mit half of the talks are by oxford and harvard half of the talks are by facebook and amazon right and it's because they have that data and it's so in your role as cro expert you, you your fight is against all the opinions and all the the, the 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 knowledge that exists in the company which is bullshit knowledge and psychologists don't have an answer. They only say it's very complex. You don't know. You should test that. But that's exactly the role you have. So I, I, the cultural shift uh, is is a very big thing. And I think CRO experts are the ones to take up that role. But then we need different skill set, right? We have to be cultural change managers instead of very nerdy data-driven. We think it's very sexy experimentation and data-drivenness, but it's not very. <laughs> yeah. yeah. So we, we need to develop those uh, persuasive skills not only on the interface of our uh, website but especially within the company be more persuasive and you know you, you learn how influenceable people are so that the same applies for your colleagues. Um, and Bart, be- before
0: we go to Roger uh, so for those that didn't study psychology why are all almost all <laughs> psychology studies um, um, have, have participants that are 18 to 24 year old and are female
1: because we need uh, uh, respondents—is that what you call it? Participants in the study. So okay. we just yeah. So we just force psychology students to participate. You're not graduating without participating in at least 40 experiments. So they've been uh, tested over and over again. But and that's where the whole behavioral science is built upon.
0: Yeah. So we, we and are.
1: also subjects that are that are probably aware of the fact that they're being tested. <laughs> Which makes the external validity completely and nonsense. Yeah, right. and they're only really looking for
2: students yeah. too, so they're yeah. they're not necessarily unaware of the c- type of tests they might be yeah. undergoing.
0: Uh, I, I very vividly uh, remember uh, doing uh, one study at the uh, university, it's a very similar study, and indeed eighty uh, uh, percent is women at a, at a psychology study. But the study Which was Which one uh, of the um, reasons to
1: study it. Right? Hmm? For me, it was. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> so at my university. I studied, we were <laughs> I studied physics before that. That was the that was was a nice that was different (laughs) we we didn't
2: have that preponderance of women at my university but uh, I would say that just to echo what Bart was saying about real world experimentation uh, platforms like Uber now uh, are also publishing studies not necessarily on CRO but I just uh, heard an interesting study about tipping where they can conduct these massive at scale studies of the effects of tipping where they've got really great statistics where uh, you know 10 years ago in an academic environment uh, it would be you know some tiny sample and the other area that's also a by small sample sizes. I've been writing about neuromarketing for years, and I probably some of you are familiar with that. Some of those studies, especially those using fMRI, which is a very uh, powerful but expensive way to measure what brain activity, while people are consuming content or viewing things, uh, there the sample size might be as low as 10 or 15 or 20 subjects, and that's it's interesting, but it's, it's just not really
0: all that uh, convincing. Yeah, and like I said, there can be a big bias in there. And uh, the, the study I, I remember is, is that we did a study on... on uh, you had to rate the taste of a piece of chocolate. Um, and they... they, so they just gave you the piece of chocolate and you had to rate them on a scale of 1 to 10 or something. Um, and they, they they gave you a piece of paper with the chocolate and the brand name was written on it. So this is a piece of ferkade, this is a piece of milka. But I... so I got this piece of... said ferkade. And on the chocolate, it said Milka. So you're pretty, sh- you're pretty sure you're in an experiment that I didn't really. <laughs> <laughs> I uh, d- all, the, I all those experiments,
1: everyone's always looking. What's the trick, right? Yeah. Exactly. Well, someone is dropping his pen. Oh, uh, probably I'm supposed to pick it up, right? Yeah. yeah. Sure.
0: <laughs> so that, that's how mo- a lot of those uh, studies go, yeah. indeed. Um,
1: any, any audience questions? But right maybe now? Uh, this is also a, a, a nice extra answer for uh, Ruben. Uh, you have the power. Published in scientific papers how convincing is that in your company that what you're doing is very very valid right if, if even science is is asking for for that information then the, your board members should listen as well yeah
0: anyone who wants to walk up ruben, ruben wants to go again <laughs> no.
1: so um, i have a question for the audience uh, uh, you're running way more experiments than any behavioral scientific professor will ever do in his life. You've tested with more participants than he will even encounter in his life. Um, do you have a, a, do you try to learn from these experiments? Or uh, frame it the other way around. Like, who does not try to learn from his experiments? Because I don't. Because I don't think we're learning anything. Right. Uh, because okay, I see well, a lot okay. of learnings. So, are you don't to you try to? I you, want yeah, to.
2: Are you saying that uh, we aren't trying to uh, draw more generalized knowledge from the results of the experiment? In other words, we find a result, okay, this, this has this particular effect, so we'll go with uh, uh, option B instead of option A, but uh, we're not drawing any uh, longer-term knowledge from that?
1: Yes. I, I, I see reports of A-B tests where there's a learning included, and I... I think that the learning never holds. And that's something we learned in in behavioral science, that when you have a hypothesis, an experiment will never prove the hypothesis. If you read a scientific article, there's never one experiment. There are always a hell of a lot of experiments because there are alternative explanations possible for the effect that you found, which might not be your hypothesis. So in science, you have to counter all the other possible explanations, and I see no one doing that. And as long as you don't do that, you are not learning. And then who cares, right? Your boss doesn't care. He just wants you to grow the company. So stop learning, stop growing the comp- start growing the company, right? Learnings are fake, are bullshit. It's not, it's not true. If you want it to be true which I would love to because I love the fact that we're finally able to learn from human behavior, but it involves at least 10 experiments for one hypothesis because you have to prove all the... I can go, come up with a lot of... Give me a an AB winning A-B test and I'll tell you a lot of explanations why that might have happened. And you'll have to find out which one is, is the true one, knowing that 50% at least of your winners will be a false positive. Um, it's, it's difficult to learn from human behavior. It's very hard to prove an hypothesis. So either just stop doing it, which I think is a very healthy thing to do, or do it properly. But that involves a a, a lot of effort, right? And that's why we also have a replication crisis in psychology, because we also didn't have the funds to do it properly powered, properly I, I think you're fighting human nature there, Bart, because people want an
2: explanation. If one thing worked better than another thing, we immediately want to explain we call it the why the need that for worked. meaning. <laughs> it's massive in
1: your brain. You always want to know why. By the age of six, you ask the why question 300 times a day. Stop doing that because we just don't know. It's a nightmare to have me as a dad because I always give the answer. I don't know. I didn't test it. <laughs> I'll give that a try yeah
0: any audience questions
3: feels, uh, I'm Bauke from uh, Rabobank whatever but
0: Rabobank, there, uh, whatever.
3: No, it feels like I'm in a crisis now because we have all kind of consumer psychology which is based on false studies and we think we have learning from zero which is also f- from false tests so can we better not stop and start drinking? Or? <laughs> <laughs> well, we yeah, that's what drinking I do. In, uh, I think 15 minutes. <laughs> yes,
0: 15 minutes. So I
1: think that the positive side, if you're asking for, is there anything positive in uh, in applying psychology within CRO, is in the ideation phase. Because if you're not into psychology, then you will uh, test to much rational ideas i'd say right it's it's, it's especially i love roger duty's blog just to get ideas right and that's also why i'm not against neuromarketing i know the studies are bullshit but it just gives you another twist in your ideation phase um the problem with neuromarketing is also the statistics behind the uh and data analysis huh? that's, oh there's a huge bias in there as well anyhow um so you, you have different ideas right and and the smallest changes can have the biggest effects. We, we all s- see that on a daily basis. Um, we're unable to predict the outcomes, but th- th- the better ideas are always based from, from the psychology background. And, uh, we did a meta-analysis within KPN, which is one of our bigger clients, so there were hundreds of experiments, and we tracked the source of the hypothesis. So we had three, three types of sources there was the like the opinions from the company right it's like one third of their ids is just people that saw something happening at Vodafone Ziga, for example or and then they, and they, we just tested that um, that is that has a winner chance ratio that's lower than uh, random right so we have a threshold and we find less winners than you'd expect randomly so that's very bad ids right so we, and that's why we tag them, because we want our false discovery rate to be as low as possible. And we know that these IDs are bringing the false discovery rate up. So we, uh, that's why we track them. So that's not the way to go. right? That's what a lot of companies do. Then we have the data-driven CRO team, but not behavioral expert tests. Good thing is <laughs> the winner ratio is above the random threshold that you would expect. So they're actually bringing value. Um, and I think their false discovery rate is somewhere around 70%. So one third of the test is a, is a true winner. So they're, that's, it's bringing value. But then we have the Center of Excellence team where behavioral scientists from our company are involved. And they have four times higher uh, r- real winner ratio. So where the data-driven team has an average value per test of 30,000 euros. Our team has uh, over 100,000 euros average win. So is there value in psychology, in CRO? Yes, there is. But what is it? It's not, right? It's, it's the ideation phase. They have different ideas that the other, other people wouldn't think of or they would discuss the ID, And then with our rational conscious brain, we would counter the ID. That's bad.
0: So Bart, does, does it mean that you uh, you guys are also testing uh, uh, zero teams with and without psychologists and uh, put them against each well, other? Well, it's just
1: that they were scaling up and having multiple teams and that the other teams didn't involve psychologists. So we...
2: Yeah. 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 And I think it's wrong to conclude from the replication issues that uh, all psychology is bullshit. In fact, there are many principles out there that have been proven many times both in lab experiments in universities but also in commercial tests. Uh, you look at uh, uh, Cialdini's principles, for example. Uh, those are commonly used uh, uh, in tests uh, of all kinds, uh, and various other things. You just have to be... I think the ones studies you have to be more careful of are the one-off studies where a professor found some really startling thing, and, of course, that's what gets the press. So it's, if it's a, a strange finding like... Um, if you're on the second floor of the mall, you're more generous in your donations than if you're on the first floor. Uh, you know that's—it's really fascinating and certainly gets press coverage, but. Uh, you really want to be sure that that's been replicated by other researchers in other locations, and a lot of that—it's called embodied cognition. A lot of that now is looking very shaky. So, uh, but the basic principles are, are certainly valid. Some there are certain experiments, things like uh, ultimatum game, uh, the uh, uh, but you are free thing that have been tested in dozens of labs around the world and uh, have pretty good basis for them.
0: Yeah, could also be an SRM. On the mm-hmm. second floor, right? They have a sample race, uh, ratio mis- mismatch there. Oh, yeah, well,
2: exactly. Yeah, yeah, like, the uh, samples in the second Science or... are too low to, have,
1: to be able to measure sample ratio mismatch. Yeah, yeah. That's another issue, yeah.
2: <laughs> yeah definitely, I mean, you have to look at like, why were those people on the second floor? Maybe the people on the first floor were in a hurry uh, to get to the second floor, and they weren't going to stop and don't. Who knows? You know, there, there, are, there are many other alternate explanations for that, which is why, as Bart says, you, know, you really need to test alternatives and uh, make sure you've got robust data.
1: Yeah, and I th- you know, there's, there's a lot of courses out there that you can at least have an introduction into psychology, uh, which I think is al- already very good. But it's also very good to hire a uh, trained psychologist who studied behavior, human behavior for four years full time. Uh, you're never going to catch up with someone who, was, who studied so intensely. Um, your, your psychology study was full time? I studied (laughs) psychology (laughs) nine years, even. (laughs) Twice as good, Uh, at least.
0: We have time for one final audience question. So this is your chance. Who wants to go? Yes.
3: Yeah, my name is Josh from uh, Zuver, And I would like to know what is, in your opinion, the most underrated psychological principle in CRO?
0: The most underrated psychological principle in zero or the most effective then? Or that's not being used?
1: Yeah, but it could be very... Uh, so the most overrated one is social proof. That's so counter-effective very often. Social proof. Always test social proof. I mean, it has an impact, right? It's very, very impactful. But the direction is very questionable. Right, We, we did... Uh, let's say, uh, if you apply social proof when you're trying to sell loans, right, I've, they've always been counter-effective. We don't want to be reminded of others when we're doing something that those others dislike, right? So it, it has a huge impact, but in the wrong direction. So I think that, that's that's, that's absolutely I always one.
0: give the example that if I'm watching a porn video I don't want to yeah. know how m- which of my friends so many people are watching <laughs> Bart is also watching
1: this porn video yeah, <laughs> at, the, at the same time yes okay, give I'll, them a call okay, did they I'll, test that that would be <laughs> I'll,
2: I'll throw one out uh, that is probably less utilized simply because it's less known of Cialdini's principles. Uh, Most his six have been out for 35 years or something now. Uh, just a couple of years ago in his book, Persuasion, he introduced unity uh, that is sort of like a very powerful form of liking. It's shared identity, familial identity, uh, and it's uh, goes beyond simply having something in common with somebody else. It's like being part of the same tribe, I guess, to re- put it in a very simple way. And uh, when you can do that, uh, you, you can be more persuasive, although sometimes the opportunities to show that you're part of the same tribe as somebody else are pretty limited in a, uh, in a large business setting. One business that uh, I think has kind of tried to leverage that is Tito's Vodka from Austin, Texas. Uh, they're uh, now a, a well known national brand in the US. Uh, I don't know how well known they are over here, but uh, not too long ago, they adopted a slogan Vodka for Dog People. Uh, which is a very uh, unusual thing. Obviously, dogs and vodka have nothing to do with each other. uh, But they did a couple of things. First of all, they tapped into a very large group of people who were favorable uh, to pets and dogs. Uh, Secondly, they didn't say for dog owners or dog lovers. They said dog people. So they're trying to bring in this identity, that we we share this identity. And then actually, a very tactical thing they did, nothing to do with uh, influence principles. But they also created a hashtag, uh, Vodka for Dog People, So the people who would not normally share a picture of their vodka bottle on their Instagram feed would, uh, in fact, show their pet wearing a sweater uh, with a uh, Tito's logo on it, uh, they would uh, have a Tito's dog food bowl or water bowl, or in some cases, they would even pose their pet with a bottle of Tito's vodka and use that hashtag. So not only did they create this uh, uh, liking or maybe even unity effect with the slogan, uh, they turned into a something that could be shared on social media.
1: Thank right. you, Roger. Um, Can I also uh, give one tip? I think a very, very underrated persuasion tactic is uh, variable rewards. Um, so our brain is uh, looking forward to rewards, right? It's not the reward in moment itself. It's the anticipation of a reward that is driving a lot of our motivation. And if you want to be very persuasive in the long term, you have to variate the both the intensity of the reward and the timing of the reward. And I see no one experimenting with you know, very well rewarding your returning customers um, to in order to create loyalty.
0: So, so yeah, I heard you guys uh, tonight when you order a drink, uh, you'll either get a shot of vodka, you get a beer, you get a wine. It's just... But
2: yeah, all up in the air. it's so, going to be very interesting.
1: Also, since you're
2: going to feed it to your dog, I just heard. Yeah. <laughs> actually, I did see uh, one like uh, Starbucks rewards tend yeah. to be very predictable. You accumulate points when you have enough points, then you get a free thing. Uh, but a uh, uh, competitor, Panera, uh, was actually doing that random thing for a while where uh, there may have been some kind of algorithm driving it, but as a consumer, you weren't really aware. Suddenly, you saw an email or something on your app pop up hey, you get a free cup of coffee, or you get a free. Pastry, uh, so I assumed uh, that's what they were doing. Although whether they were doing it consciously or not, I
1: don't yeah, know. Yeah. Yeah, but, and uh, re- reward is not only financial, right? It's uh, it's especially it's not financial. It's just telling people, hey, you're doing a good job. You're almost there, right? All these green check marks that we we play with small sentences. Those are always th- those are also rewards for people that they're doing the right thing. So if if you're going to variate more with it, it's going to be more sticky and more crea- loyalty creating um so i think that's like a very basic principle from psychology if you, like even if you're teaching your kids new behavior you're going to reward them right do it very well do it unexpected they cannot you shouldn't they should not be able to predict wh- whether they're going to get a reward and how high the reward will be but yeah and usually a reward is just a compliment from you and it's a big compliment or a small compliment uh, so it's a very basic principle in psychology, which I think is very underrated in zero. Um, a great reference uh, is Hooked by Nir Ayal, uh, who
2: shows how uh, these companies that have us all addicted to our devices use variable rewards uh, to good effect. If people, uh, if every time you posted on Instagram, you got the same 20 likes, it wouldn't be interesting, but the fact that you get five one time and 200 the next time, that, that makes it exciting to you.
1: Mm. Nir, who also spoke at Conversion Hotel.
0: Yeah, indeed. Ladies and gentlemen, a warm applause for Bart Schutz and Roger Dooley. And call yourself. Thank you for Thank all the you. questions. Uh, it was yeah. a final session. Thanks for the uh, Conversion Hotel organization uh, to have us here uh, this year. Make sure to subscribe, zero.cafe slash subscribe and uh, have and you'll the rest get a of the variable evening reward. With variable rewards, <laughs> yes.
3: <laughs> Bye-bye.